As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me on the line, as always... Fresh from a walk with Walter in the snow. Eric, what's up, man? Not too much. Uh, just uh, enjoying this we- weird purgatory week between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, how are you? Uh, not not great. It's uh, I'm in quarantine here, having got back from Tampa. And, uh, you know, quarantine in general is something we've all got used to. But doing that over Christmas and New Year's while, uh, you know, Things on the work side have gone as they have gone. Uh, the Raptors, the start of the Raptors season being delayed and they still haven't played any games. Yeah, uh, no, it's is, been uh, unfortunate. Yeah, the 0-0 Toronto Raptors. Yeah, or as Alex Wong put it, the 2-3 and three Toronto Raptors. Yes, got to gotta count those moral, those uh, Schadenfreude <laughs> victories. <laughs> uh, oh, it's not going, not going great. We haven't been here in a while. Uh, which is to say we haven't been here in this specific place since 2005-2006. We haven't been here in this specific place my entire time covering the team, even if you include, like, blogging years. So Even that's true for me. I was uh, 2005-2006. I was still... So I started covering the team a bit in 06-07 and then full-time in 07-08. So uh this that predates me uh that that dates back to the mike james year uh, and mike james called my brother who was covering the team for the toronto sun uh quag not because he sort of uh he thought he looked like quagmire from uh family guy uh so that that's where we're at Family guy references were cool. Unless your brother (laughs) looks dramatically different 15 years ago. I'm having trouble seeing it. I think he just, like, the head shape is sort of similar. And I think that's maybe where it ends. Uh, He certainly doesn't have the the outgoing personality of him. Uh, (laughs) That's that's for sure. Um, all right, Eric, uh, before we get into things, a uh, little trivia for you about that 2005-2006 season. So that is the last time the Raptors started 0-3. They actually started that season 0-9. To try to get things going over that nine-game losing streak, they tried four different starting centers. Eric, can you name them? <laughs> no. Um, Jelani McCoy? No. No? Oh, my God. Okay. What a disaster ha- of a start. Hoffa? Yeah, Hoffa's one. Uh, we're not counting Bosch. He was the nominal power forward. I mean, time. there was one setup where you could have called him the center alongside okay. a stretch big, but, uh, oh God, splitting what, hairs there. What centers would have been on the team? Though? Splitting red hairs there. <laughs> Bonner. Yeah. Bonner's uh, another one. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, um, as another hint, this was the post Vince trade year. Oh no. Um, Aaron Williams? Yeah, Aaron Williams is another one. You got one more. Okay. Uh, One more and then you're out of the woods here. (laughs) Very good. You were were very kind to me. Lauren Woods. (laughs) Yeah. In my my defense, Lauren Woods and Jelani McCoy are the same person. Sure. Uh, 
Yeah, we, we can throw Jerome Moiso in there too if you want. <laughs> no, he, grab he a had a, off the top of the backboard. She had a very specific place in Raptors history. Uh, I, I don't think that either Lauren Woods or Jelani McCoy has that place. But he like uh, like Jelani. Uh, Jerome Moiso was at the heart of the zero 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 Sam Mitchell rant. <laughs> yes, that's uh that's uh something that I I mean look, we spent a good part of the NBA's hiatus doing historical Raptors lookbacks, and it really threw into perspective how fortunate we've been to cover the team during this era. Uh oh boy, do do we have to hope that the 0-3 start does not take us down that path? Uh, before we get into that 0-3 start, as a reminder, you can go to theathletic.com slash we the six. That's the number six. And you can get a buy one, get one off subscription. So buy one, gift one, basically, uh, between now and January 3rd. Uh, also, if you click either mine or Eric's articles right now, I believe there's a flash sale until the end of the calendar year here in Canada for $1 a month. So I think that's a slightly better deal, but if you miss that, there's still the buy one, gift one until January 3rd. BOGO! Uh, we, yeah, we do passable work, and you should go check it out. Uh, Eric, the Raptors did start the season 0-3. Uh, they blew a lead against New Orleans in their home opener in Tampa, and then they blew a lead on the road against San Antonio, and then they blew a lead in Philadelphia last night. What is well? We'll get into some of the specifics of how they've lost these three games and what we can extrapolate from them. But people seem to be, if not panicking, at least pretty frustrated. I, I'm wondering what your overall level of concern is after three games here. Um, certainly, if not confirms, uh, gives a lot of you know supporting evidence to theory that the Raptors just don't have that high ceiling that the other quote-unquote contenders in the Eastern Conference do. Um, I mean, we've seen the offense struggle for large portions of each game. Uh, There's been sort of a scoring drought that they've been able to, unable to stop for for too long, and each game came at, uh, when did it come in? Was I guess in the third quarter against the Sixers, but but there's been one each game, and uh, that's how you end up with uh, two times in three games scoring fewer than a hundred points. And in, in in the Philly game, at least until Joel Embiid started getting fouled every possession, was at a really quick pace, and then it slowed down. But you know, and obviously in the modern NBA, if you're scoring below a hundred points, something's not going right. So it's also confirming what we think about the offense. Uh, or what we maybe feared about the offense, uh, with all the caveats that training camp was short, three preseason games, we're still in, you know, we're at the point where the season might actually be starting now in a normal season. So, uh, someone should caveat. tell the Raptors. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's the thing. It hasn't been a lack of effort. They just aren't crisp and they lack that. I mean, as great as Kyle Lowry's been, this is something we discussed during the Boston series, he's not able to just get a shot off and get like a great shot off anytime he wants. He's not that type of superstar. So you maybe shouldn't be relying on your 34, almost 35-year-old point guard to be the only guy who can create a shot. Yeah, read my game story uh, at uh, theathletic.com after you subscribed. Um, So... I mean, the way and the defense was obviously not good, although I think there was some shooting randomness involved uh, in that. Uh, in the first two games, I, I thought the game against Philadelphia was a much more recognizable effort uh, on that end, you know, certainly well beyond good enough to win that game. Uh, so overall, they're struggling in the ways that we thought they might. They, their top-end talent is not as high as some other teams, and uh, it's worrying if you're expecting this team to make any sort of run. That, that, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think, like, like do I think they can miss the playoffs? Sure, I, I would, I'd still predict them to make the playoffs, but, um, but you know, that it's definitely, like I said, it's confirmed some fears about the weaknesses of this team and, and how important they actually are 
For sure. And, and I think it's tough because obviously sequencing plays such a big role in how we evaluate these things where these three games as like isolated incidents are not dramatically, you know, like they, they weren't good games, none of them, but they're all like, okay, well, the half court offense struggled or, or the defense wasn't there this game or shooting variance that game. But when you stack three on top of each other, it feels quite alarming. And I think the other reason this feels more dramatic than a three-game losing streak would otherwise feel is that it's like we've all become pretty accustomed to the Raptors being the team on the opposite end of games like this. For years, they've been the league leader or close to the league lead in double-digit comebacks season after season. It's usually them who are being this plucky, annoying team who you can't put down. Um, And now, per ESPN Stats and Info, they're the first team in 20 years to blow three straight double-digit leads to start a season. It's just, it's the complete inverse of what made the Raptors so compelling and what established such a high floor for them the last couple years is that I'm... I'm paraphrasing someone else on Twitter, and I can't remember who it was, but basically the Raptors have spent the last seven or eight years always finding ways to win, and now they're finding ways to lose. And it's uh, sore apologies to whoever tweeted that, and I can't remember, but that's a it's a good way to put it, I think, just in terms of you know what people have come to expect and where people's baseline is entering a season. And now to see the complete mirror image of that is uh, yeah, alarming. I mean, it's not like... I, I think a good indication of that was just sort of seeing Sixers Twitter on one on Tuesday night. Uh, seeing like love Sixers, Twitter. like we always lose that game to the Raptors. Like like that 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 game is. I think our friend Adrian Utterberger uh, tweeted at uh, it's like that game has happened twelve times over the last three years against the Raptors, and I'm pretty sure the Raptors have won it eleven times. Um, and, and you know. Obviously, the numbers are a bit ratcheted up there, but that's the way it feels. And, and uh, you know, the double digits thing doesn't bother me as much. It's not like they blew a 20-point lead at, at any point. Um, they did blow two 14-point leads last night. Yeah, which isn't good. Um, so that is obviously equal to one 28-point lead. Yes. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I... I it's obviously easier in today's game to make up these leads with more three-pointers, but it's not like the Sixers were hitting a barrage of shots. If anything, their slow start was attributed to them missing some pretty clean looks. Um, so, yeah, like I, I I, don't think, again, it just says a lot mostly about the Raptors' offense. Uh, I think, you know, we said so much about the defense over the first two games and, and deservedly so, but the problem is still the problem here and there's no on roster solution uh, for now, whether, whether the coaching staff and some improved play can cobble one or two together. Uh, we'll see, but th- there's no like obvious uh, solution. I don't think. Yeah, they're sure. Well, I mean, I think they're, the thing is, there's no obvious, you know, um, catch-all solution that will fix everything. Yeah. I do think there are a lot of little things they could be doing yes, better. Of course, uh, and that's do. always the case because, like, <laughs> when you are the worst offense in basketball by 2.7 points per 100 possessions, uh, there's obviously a lot that you can be uh, doing a little better. The Raptors 11.2 points per 100 possessions below the league average right now in scoring, which is, uh, you know, I know people have some concern about the defensive rebounding for sure. And, and the transition defense hasn't been all that good, but they're, the Raptors are quietly still like ninth in defensive rating so far, despite not really looking like themselves other than the first half, I would say against Philadelphia. Um, they haven't looked that sharp at that end. So the defense you know, that defensive floor is establishing already, despite the talking points around that. Most of my concern, also, and I mentioned this on Sports at 590 the other day when I got asked about um, any concerns about the defense. I just, no matter what's going on, when you start Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi, and Pascal Siakam, I'm just going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you will become a good defense at some point when the sample expands. Um, Most of the concerns here are on the offensive end. Like I said, the Raptors are dead last in offensive rating. They're 25th in effective field goal percentage. Uh, They're 23rd in turnover rate. They are 22nd in offensive rebounding rate. And they're dead last in free throw rate. Um, Not surprisingly with some of this stuff, 
Eric, what do high variance shots tend to do? They vary highly. And the Raptors are shooting more three-point shots than any team in the league. Uh, 44.4% of their uh, field goal attempts have come from beyond the arc. That's excluding garbage time and comes per cleaning the glass. Uh, The Raptors haven't shot terribly on threes. They're at a league average 36.2%. But uh, when you take that many threes, you're going to have some cold streaks, as we saw in the third quarter against New Orleans, and you're going to have some hot streaks. And uh, more, more importantly, I think that this is like this is painting with a very broad brush, uh, and it's not going to hold in every case. But the your three point shooting at that level of volume is going to be more of a a ceiling uh, raiser, I, I guess, or ceiling establisher. Whereas you know the the common talking points about how the more reliable way to create offense is at the rim and at the free throw line. Um, you know, I do think that there's something to that, and the Raptors simply are not getting to the rim or to the free throw line. Um, you know, I, I think part of this, I know people have been frustrated by the Raptors being dead last in free throw attempts, and I get it. There are occasional times where Fred Van Vliet gets put on his ass or or that Pascal Siakam block charge in a clutch situation. I get that there are isolated incidents, but you also look and the Raptors are taking the fourth lowest amount of shots at the rim in the league, and they are taking the most threes. Uh, I think that that just, you know, that's a very, very passive shot profile. Like, I can't imagine there's another team that's in the so-called, I guess, danger zones or, or the ranges that you get fouled in more uh, less often than the Raptors right now. And that's, you know, because they're shooting so many threes, they're, they're still only a little below average in terms of, like, expected uh, effective field goal percentage because threes are good um, in general. But when you are only getting to the line at a bottom five rate, and they're they're at a bottom ten rate in that kind of short mid range area too. Um, you know it's hard to get easy. They're not getting any of the easy points, I guess, is what I'm saying. And not that going to the rim and getting hacked is uh, an easy thing to do by any means, but getting to the free throw line is. You know, layups and free throws are, are the most efficient shots on the floor. As much as we talk about um, analytics affecting three point volume or whatever. Uh, layups and free throws are still what you want to get the most. And the fact that the Raptors are getting almost none of those, uh, they're also finishing at the rim at a bottom five rate as well. Uh, you know, this is just a very passive offensive attack so far. And they're, even if you break it down by play type, you know, they're not uh, attacking very much on the drive to shoot at all. Most of their drives are, are with the intention to pass, which was true last year too. Um, Eric, I guess... This is, uh, again, a broad question, but do you think this team has it within them to be a more aggressive offensive attack, um, like tactically and strategically? Or or is this going to be, you know, someone has to finish last in free throw rate every year and a team that shoots a ton of threes and doesn't get to the rim is probably going to be high among the suspects. Yeah, I mean, as Doc Rivers was asked at the beginning of his availability before the game on, on Tuesday night, what he thinks about having Joel Embiid and what it's been like to have that sort of dominant post center. And he basically said, it's great to have a run stopper. Um, And you could see why last night, like he was just getting fouled and it wasn't always like with the ball or in like scoring positions. It's just, you know, his presence creates that sort of contact and he had 11 I think he had 11 free throws in the first half and the Raptors had four and you know it was sort of one of those nights where I thought Nick Nurse might come in and and like rail against the refs he was certainly doing so during the game and by the way to Nick and all NBA coaches like keep your masks on uh yeah seriously like uh Doc Rivers wore his as a chin strap last yeah, night. It looked like every guy in my high school trying to grow facial hair. Yeah, that's not how masks work. And uh, yeah, like I, I've just seen Nick do it specifically, but like all of them seem to be. I'm not sure Pop did it, uh, but uh, anyway, just keep your who, mask. Who so. could focus on Pop's mask when he's got that beautiful flow coming out of the <laughs> the back of it? It's yeah, um, it's got the core hair. Uh, you gotta love it. Um, I, I look, Fred Van Vliet is always going to be attacking to pass. Like he's just not good enough. I mean, not not on every time he goes in, but on on the whole, he does that more because he's just 
not a dynamic enough finisher right now. And you'd like him to develop those skills, uh, but it certainly doesn't look like that's come along for his game yet. And that's worrying, uh, especially when paired with Pascal Siakam, who's really who you have to worry about the most at this stage. And, um, you know, it's his play has been going on too long. Uh, you know, when you include the bubble and the pre-bubble when he was slumping a bit and now into uh, this regular season to just write it off with any one thing. Like there are some, you know, serious concerns here. Uh, like I think it, I'm comfortable saying he's better than this, but, you know, uh, but I'm not. I would hope so. He's currently in the zeroth percentile for points per shot attempt. So <laughs> let's uh, let's yeah. hope he has a higher floor than that. Yeah, but, uh, you know, his certainly his areas for growth are, are being exposed. And, you know, Nick Nurse's first answer after the game, when asked about their lack of free throws or, or sort of their lack of uh aggression and i didn't really see it as a lack of aggression necessarily which is why the word passiveness is is uh throwing me off a bit like you could see instances in which they were getting they were trying to get there and just you know failing once they did or failing to get there in the first place sure like philly's big and i understand that but it's like like and even new orleans is a little big yeah ultimately you couldn't do it against san antonio with demar at the four yeah no that that's problematic obviously i love Jakob purtle but he's not he's not a guy that should tilt your offensive but uh, but as nick nurse was saying like he listed off a bunch of things like you come to a pass and you just don't catch it, like or you go to the rim and ah oh, that swing to the corner three where it just went through his fingertips. Yeah, was... yeah, and he had like, I think he was thinking about the drive, right? Like I think, I mean, it, it wasn't as much when I watched the replay that like he had already started his drive, but I think he wanted to go and he knew how much was left in the shot clock. It was about five or six left on the clock. And he just didn't do the first thing first. Uh, and like he lost the ball out of bounds when they were down one point or two points, maybe, uh, on the play that was reviewed. And that's just like I don't even think it's a weak take, but you're not you're not able to absorb any sort of contact and put together like a decent shot on the rim. And they need him to be that guy. Like for so long, ba- dating back to the Demar era, like. That's what kept the Raptors offensively relevant is he, him specifically, could get to the line throughout the game and even into the fourth quarter. And Pascal has yet to show that ability uh, to set an offensive floor. And, you know, obviously, as they rank (laughs) the worst team, they need the floor to be higher than this if they want to make the playoffs at the very least. So uh, I I think... I think Lowry and Siakam um, can be more effective getting into the pa- – I mean, Lowry's been pretty good, but I think they both, as far as the big playmakers are concerned, have that ability to give the Raptors a bit more consistency uh, in the paint or getting to the paint. Um, I don't think that's where Fred Van Vliet's game is right now, and I think that at some point you have to – Look at that as, as a, you know, the way uh, with the way you're building the team going forward. Yeah, I mean, Fred's a very good shooting guard is how maybe you describe where his lead ball handler game is at. right Yeah. Now. Yeah. Um, just to finish up on Siakam, he's only taking 20 percent of his attempts at the rim, which is half as much as last year, which was already a big drop off from his more successful years. Obviously more difficult when teams are gearing up for you. And it should be noticed, Siakam has been a improved playmaker so far this year. Um, easily the highest assist percentage of his career so far, uh, even controlling for usage. Um, but yeah, the scoring's got to improve it. And that includes getting some some easier looks and some freebies at the rim. Uh, I have thought process-wise, you know, in first and third quarters, when maybe there's more of a script coming out of out of the gate, um, things have looked a little better process-wise using Siakam at the elbow more in horn sets, a little pistol action in semi-transition, the kind of stuff that can get either him easy buckets or the guys orbiting around him easy buckets. Uh, But that has not 
sustained yeah. in any way. We've certainly I, seen some more one four pick and roll too. I, I would say. Uh, yeah, I, I remember. I think it was against Philly that Fred screened for him. I don't think it resulted in much, but that was something both of us were calling for more against Boston, and, and we've seen a bit more of that. Yeah, and I think you know that's where the Raptors can look and be encouraged by some of the. I mean. Dynamism is a step too far, but like OG Ananobi has looked really good on the roll and, and passing out of the short roll and as a screener. And Alex Len made that great pass out of um, on the roll last night to a corner shooter. And Chris Boucher, obviously, he didn't play much against Philadelphia, but he's been a pretty good rim runner for them off the bench. So um, there are the makings there of interesting pick and roll combinations and the fact that you can kind of put a couple of your forwards in handling situations or... Um, basically the fact that you can use Siakam, Lowry, and Van Vliet on either end of the pick and roll, uh, makes you, you know, theoretically more dynamic. We just need to see a little bit more of it. Um, and I, and I guess if, if there's a positive to take away from these three games, obviously, you know, uh, Bane's fan club joked that the, the better approach, the better perspective than the Raptors, uh, blew three double digit leads is that they've, uh, they've gotten a double digit lead in three straight games, um, you know, over those three games, the minutes with the key pieces have trended upward. And that's mostly Lowry driven when you do the, the on off analysis. The Raptors are so dramatically better with Lowry on the floor than off right now. It's it's almost overwhelming. Um, but the starting lineup has been, you know, close to neutral. They're minus 2.8 net rating. But in that small sample, that's, you know, you're not. That's not statistically significant from neutral, really, nor would plus 2.8 be. Um, so I think they're starting to figure it out. And, and Bain, you know, that that lineup's been pretty good defensively. And as Baines continues to figure it out, maybe maybe that can um, further establish. And, and then I think, you know, need, like Len didn't blow anyone away against Philadelphia. And Boucher's been really good in the first two games and then only played four minutes last night. Um, I think they've gotten what they could have kind of hoped for from the from the backup center position. The big question for me now is ob- obviously, you know, Siakam and Van Vliet just have to be better. That's that's the long and short of it at, at their pay scale and their importance to this team. Um, but those non-Lowry minutes that they've lost so dramatically, and give me one second, I have the stat here on exactly what it is. So the, La- the Raptors have played... Um, to a plus 14 with Lowry on the floor, and they are minus 40 in 33 minutes without him, which is crazy. Um, They almost literally have not got to the line when Lowry's not on the floor. Eric, part of this is, you know, Van Vliet and Siakam struggling, especially because the staggering has tended to be Lowry and Ananobi together and Van Vliet and Siakam together, which Nurse settled on late last year, and we expect it coming into this year, and I think is still, you know, probably the right, combination of starters uh but they haven't gotten much from uh, the bench outside of the center position Norman Powell has really struggled in his 20 minutes per game uh from a decision making standpoint from a finishing standpoint from a defensive standpoint especially um you know Matt Thomas has shown flashes but Nick Nurse doesn't sound very happy with um how they've managed around his defense Stanley Johnson got a big opportunity last night and while I thought he played well by the standards of um, Stanley Johnson and his Raptors tenure so far. Uh, the Raptors were a big negative in his minutes, and I think he probably played too much relative to what even a, a good Stanley Johnson game looks like. And we haven't seen Malachi Flynn. We haven't really seen Terrence Davis. We haven't seen much of DeAndre Bembry. Um, you know, where are you at with these non-Lowry lineups? Because it has to... I, I don't know. Maybe maybe Lowry's joke from the preseason about Nick saying he's going to keep his minutes down and then play him 42 minutes a, lo- a night is accurate. And, and that's the way the Raptors fix this is just running Kyle Lowry into the ground. But uh, I don't think that's a sustainable solution. So what are we looking no, at to fix I these think non-Lowry like, minutes? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is having, at least from how they see it, and, and uh, to an extent I see it, is they need Norm to come around more than he has. And wow... I'm not as, you know, I, I think maybe last season was a bit of a outlier for Norm. I'm not sure he's that good offensively. He's uh, not. Uh, I I think he's better than this. And uh, so... He would almost have to be, right? Well, this is a running theme now of this podcast. <laughs> um, and I think he will be able to be like a very important piece in a lot of lineups. We've seen it before 
we'll see it again. Uh, and I think that's sort of Nick Nurse's approach. Um, as for the rest of it, I mean, I do like that he experimented based on matchup. Uh, I think that was the right thing to do. Uh, yeah, I don't really have an issue with Stanley yeah, Johnson getting yeah. a look as much as I do with him getting 22 minutes. Well, he was doing the things, you know, like I mean, what? like, yeah, he was doing the things. And I tweeted as much that, like, I thought he played well um, relative to what our normal expectation for Stanley Johnson is. But he also just like, you know, I thought he yeah, he defended well and. and yeah, he's not giving you but, he's not giving you offensive pop like in terms yeah. of play creation. But uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, he defended Simmons and Harris well enough. That's not what they were looking for in that situation. Should they be looking for it more often? Should this team be willing to sacrifice more on defense if it gets them offensive creation? You know, probably that that's what their profile sort of says is like you got to if you have to raise a floor, you got to sacrifice something. Uh, in a lot of cases, and maybe that's how good you can be defensively. Um, I mean, the interesting one for all sorts of reasons, and, and something I'm not entirely comfortable speaking about, is Terrence Davis, because he played well enough last year that he should be getting opportunities, but there's obviously his legal matter hanging over things. And, yeah, and I, I don't even know. Like, I don't think there's a moral difference between playing five minutes over or playing three minutes over the first three games and playing 12 minutes over the first three games. Like to me, the, the line of moral imperative or, or what, you know, if you feel uncomfortable with Davis being on the roster, I yeah. don't see that there's a difference between him playing minutes and him. Yeah. Not and I generally like agree with you, but do they like that? I guess that's what I'm wondering because if, in, if in they case, don't I would ask, why did he play so much in the preseason? Yeah, and if they don't, and and if they don't feel that way, then why isn't he playing? Because again, his track record shows he's an NBA player, like he's an NBA rotation player uh, over the course of a regular season. Um, I get this, my, this is why I, I don't want to have this conversation. Is because like I don't like. You know, I think in a perfect... We don't know the answer. Yeah, yeah. Like, I I don't know the answer. I'm uncomfortable with all of it. If he's at all, you know, guilty of what he has been accused of, I don't think he should be on the roster, uh, on this roster at least. I don't want to take away his, you know, right for a living uh, if they come to a court agreement, but it doesn't need to be with the Raptors. But we don't know the answer but all things being equal, which again, they're not, it's weird that he's not playing because he does give you some of that, you know, if not primary creation, and he can do a little bit of that, but certainly when the ball swung to him, he could either shoot or drive and make quick decisions. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, so, you know, this is so this is kind of the issue with, um, you know, being a quote unquote depth team that doesn't know who they're you know, seven, eight, nine guys are, is that every night you can make a case for a different guy, right? Like Alex Len against Embiid and Dwight Howard made sense. You know, I could see where you were coming from with Stanley, um, even though, again, I don't, I wouldn't have played him half the game probably. Um, and then, you know, some nights it might look like it's Terrence Davis or Matt Thomas, or, you know, if you, if you want that kind of offensive pressure, give Paul Watson a shot. Um, you can give, you can go through, the whole roster and, and come up with a, an explanation why each guy should be the guy getting that shot, but you can only give one or two of them a shot at a time. The one that I'm most surprised that has not gotten a shot. And I understand why when it comes to rookies and getting up to speed in the NBA and how short the off season was, I thought Malachi Flynn looked really good in the preseason. And I think, you know, when they drafted him, 
I was pretty modest in my expectations for what he'd look like this year. I think I penciled him in for like 10 minutes a game when I did my rotation, my theoretical rotation breakdown. And I saw him, you know, in that setup, I had him playing alongside Lowry in a lot of transition units because I think that that's a nice way for a point guard to learn. Three games in, including the preseason, I think I would maybe flip that and have him help those Van Vliet Siakam units with an extra ball handler uh, and someone who, you know, rookie caveats aside, like is one of their probably most polished pick and roll operators already. Um, Now, I'm not saying Flynn would solve everything. He does have a net rating of 100 in one minute and change on the season. Um, No NBA team has ever scored when Malachi Flynn is on the floor. Uh, But in seriousness, I do think you know, it's why it's part of why we like the pick was that you look at what the Raptors' weaknesses were last year and where they projected to have weaknesses in their transitional units, and having an extra pick and roll creator who can shoot a little bit and is at least uh, at this stage a, a smart team defender. Even if you know, I do think other teams would you know test Nick Nurse's patience and kind of go at Flynn to see what's there. Um, I'm surprised he hasn't gotten a shot yet. Are, are you surprised? Especially like I know Nick Nurse always talks about you know, how it takes rookies a long time. And I completely understand that just in basketball in general, we should have modest expectations for rookies. Um, But he did, you know, he did lean on Terrence Davis last year and trust him a bunch. And I thought Flynn made a good case through the preseason and allegedly through like their their offseason workouts and stuff. Um, Are you surprised we haven't seen him? Yeah, I think like my comments would be sort of similar to what I just said about Terrence Davis, minor minus the, you know, not good stuff. <laughs> um, pretty big, and, pretty big minus there. Um, yeah, no, for sure. And the only thing I can say is like, they're already playing small and like, maybe he's just not comfortable going smaller, but uh, again, like you said, there's not not much of a reason, especially without Derek White, somebody like really physical, a physical guard, um, to not try that against the Spurs a little more. And, and yeah, it's pretty clear they, of course, that was the Raptors' best offensive game, at least by points. So uh, yeah, I, I'm guessing by offensive rating, although I don't have the numbers in front of me. Um I'm mildly surprised. Like when I think about the game flow, I'm not like, it never seemed like, Oh, this is the time for Malachi Flynn, but it also didn't seem like, Oh, this is the time for Stanley Johnson. And then he played 22 minutes. So, (laughs) um, so I think we're getting there is, is my answer. I haven't been in the moment surprised that we haven't gotten there, if that makes sense. Uh, But as Nurse continues to search, I would think sooner rather than later we're going to see him. Yeah. Um, and again, it's not the biggest thing. I, I think obviously the highest leverage thing right now is Siakam figuring it out. And again, he's been a he's defended well enough and he's improved as a playmaker. But the turnovers and the scoring efficiency just he carries too big a load for for that not to be the biggest talking point and the biggest swing factor, but you can you can help them out with some better transitional units and you can help the whole team out by uh, just not bleeding so badly when uh, when Lowry's off the floor. Um, Eric, I want I don't want this to be 50 minutes of negativity. So we mentioned how good Lowry has been. Um, and I think there's been a little bit of Ananobi positivity, at least in that last game for sure uh, yeah. in terms of you know, what does his role look like if he's going to bump to 17, 18% usage instead of 14, 15? I think that was a good example after he really, he didn't do as good a job making himself available and yeah. kind of carrying a threat I think, two games. I think the broadcast has been on it too. Um, like they talked about how, like, and we've talked about it too, like uh, uh, OG plays off whatever is given to him. Like he's not the top option. So he's not going to like hunt the ball, but there's a difference between, you know, waiting for the ball to come to you and waiting for the ball to come to you, but then being ready to do a few different things with it. And I think that's what we saw against Philly. We saw like a few more drives and, uh, 
certainly him taking it like with more than like five on the clock. Maybe there was tattered at 12 on the clock and he he went instead of just making the next swing pass. And, you know, it doesn't mean you have to be Chris Boucher out there, you know, popping it every time you get it, uh, although we love Chris Boucher for it. Um, but there is a, a happy medium. And, and I mean, OG Ananobi seems like the type of guy who could uh, really learn to like a happy medium. He seems like I, I think he could find that cool. So um, we would definitely find it cool or at, at worst. All right. Yeah. So I, I think, yeah, we saw we saw him be make. He's not making the opportunities for himself. But he's taking more of an assertive approach when he got the opportunities, I guess, against Philadelphia, which was encouraging. Yes. Um, not encouraging is that he's still only at 13% usage for the season so far, which somehow is even lower. Um, well, you, how Kaha many shots is... did he get in the first game or was it the Spurs game? One of one of the one of the game. I think it was the Pelicans game. He got he has like taken 10, 6 and 11 shots. Oh, OK. It was the Spurs game, I guess. Anywho. But he plays a lot of minutes, right? So, yeah. and he doesn't really get to the free throw line much. So that's what he's used 29, 30 possessions. More than Pascal against Philly. Turnovers. Pardon me? Got to the line more than Pascal against Philly. Yeah, twice. <laughs> <laughs> um, also had five steals. It was, uh, including one of his pick sixes, which yeah. uh, are always fun. Uh, um, yeah, I don't okay. think, I don't think we could just say he's been good. Um, but they're, after two discouraging games, I'd say that was more along the line. So, I mean, in terms of raw numbers, that's more than you're going to get most nights from him. But mm-hmm. in terms of play type, that's more along the lines of what we expect from him right. or, or what the Raptors need to expect from him. Um, unless you have another positive that you want to talk about, I think because we haven't done a podcast since the opener, um, you know, the other positive in general, as you said, would be Chris Boucher's first two games. And he didn't play much against Philly because of the Embiid Howard combination and just them having so much size in general, which, you know, you could question, although I thought other than some turnovers, uh, not being able to catch the ball, Len was mostly fine. Um, Baines obviously had a rough uh, shooting night. But um, are there any other positives you want to talk about just to end this on a on a friendlier <laughs> note? Or is Boucher the if we're going Lowry being awesome, OG's third game, is Boucher your third positive so far? Or I mean, probably. At? The one thing I'd say, and it will sound like a negative, is Lowry is certainly forcing some pick and roll passes. Uh, and Yeah, but they're fun. Yeah, <laughs> they're fun, but also <laughs> it indicates stuff that will work more as the season goes on, I think. Like once... Yes that chemistry is established. Like I think it, it does have to be a th- bit of an adjustment, even for someone who raises the play of others as well as Kyle Lowry to go from Abaka, who you'd played with for three and a half years and Gasol, who has these magnetic mitts. Like he's coming from two bigs who catch everything to some guys who maybe aren't used to those kind of passes. Yeah. I don't think I, that's what you're saying. Yeah. And I think like that's on Kyle as much as it's on Baines or Len, like he's got a, like it's, a, it's, it's teamwork. <laughs> like you, you've got to know what the other guy's good at, and he's dropping some bounce passes, like sort of to the backhand, because that's where his guy could theoretically catch it, and where the opponent won't be able to. But it's not, it's not Marc Gasol who's gonna, you know, again uses his mid as a mag, his hand as a magnet, and and then like toss out a pass to an open corner three pointer for an open quarter three-pointer it's uh and, and like Aaron Baines isn't going to finish like Serge Ibaka and doesn't have sort of the up and under or, or the fake uh you know the fake uh baby hook before going glass or something so but but I think like the setups look good Baines is like an awesome screener uh like he's he's really set a few bangers uh out there um so I think they'll continue to they'll get on the same page there eventually and that will lead to some more offense i I know that's a back a backdoor way of saying something's a positive but i i I can see it if i squint hard enough (laughs) (laughs) have i convinced you (laughs) no um all right so i guess the one boucher is definitely like 
been good. There's rebounding problems with him out there, and those aren't a coincidence. And uh, you can say the the team just has to help more, but uh, and, and that's true. But the guy down low is the guy who has to make the initial at least box out or uh, or at least help with the positioning. And if he's being out positioned because he's going for a block shot, it, you know, it's one thing to say we've got to help out, but you know, that also ends up in situations like all five guys are in the paint and then Seth Curry is shooting a wide open three-pointer, which wasn't a Boucher situation, but, uh, you know, that's... No, that was a Fred mistake. Yeah, yeah. But uh, when you're so concerned with what's going on in the paint, that sort of stuff can happen. And as Nick Nurse mentioned, they've let some shooters get going um, in the first few games. Uh, But on the whole... Boucher's been good offensively. He's really given it to them. And and I, I think he's their sort of most fun option at center. He's maybe their highest upside individual stats center. Uh, so if they can figure out a, a functional way to play with him, uh, that would be good. Well, uh, in terms of the Raptors letting shooters get open, things... Hey... A week ago, you might have thought things were about to turn positive. Well, instead, on New Year's Eve, their annual New Year's Eve game against a bad Eastern Conference opponent uh, sees them taking on the league's top three-point shooting team so far, the New York Knicks. 45.9% from outside. Now, they're second last in volume, um, but they sure can't shoot at Reggie Bullock, Alec Burks, uh, Julius Randle, Alfred Payton, Kevin Knox, Frank Nilakina all shooting the lights out so far. Uh, color me skeptical. A couple Frank. of names keep shooting well. Um, Obi Toppin won't play. Uh, I think we don't have an update on Alec Burks yet for that one. Um, but the Knicks are dealing with some injuries, including Obi Toppin, who is a, a fun rookie and uh, went three of seven on threes in his debut. Uh, the Knicks on paper aren't very good. They have won their last two games. Uh, they beat, they blew out the Bucks, and then they beat the, the Cavs. So they, they blew out the Bucks, who then went on to hit a NBA record. 29 was it or 28? Three points. I saw the, the record, eight. the record setting three was 28. I don't know what they finished mm. at. That's, they finished at 29, 29 of 51. NBA is great. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, the Knicks should normally you know, cure what ails you, but they've been the number 12 defense so far. Um, They don't, you know, other than being pretty turnover prone, which maybe can get the Raptors transition game going. uh, The Knicks don't have any like standout weaknesses so far. They're just not super talented, but they, they've got some guys and we were, we probably remember from the the last couple years that they're also, you know, this is a young team that is probably not going to let you just like, foot off the gas in the ways that the Raptors kind of had when they got double digit leads. Um, you know, Mitchell Robinson's a lot of fun. RJ is, uh, I don't know, not figuring it out, but maybe he'll figure it out. That 46% true shooting is, uh, not great, but we, as a Canadian podcast, we have to leave room for the possibility that RJ figures it out. Um, and he's also only 20 years old, so that's uh, entirely possible. And like not playing around the, you know, the ideal supporting cast for maximal yeah. growth. Boy, would Fred Van Vliet look good next to him. No, uh, they had to. What did they do? Did they take on any bad contracts and get picks? What no, did they do? I don't think so. They just signed some guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Alec Burks. Great, great next. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's probably better than spending on the wrong guys, but yeah, I mean, Julius Randall picked up his option for nineteen million, so that's that's what wow. ate some of their space. But like, they've got Noah's dead money on the books. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I don't know. They they don't have really like Julius Randall is the only guy on their roster that makes eight figures. Uh, yeah, there's just doing a lot the, of mid salary guys doing the whole rebuilding thing. Keep getting those picks. Sure. And uh, yeah, anyway. Oh, they, yeah, they, that was their big offseason move. They picked up the uh, the draft rights to Sergio Lul, one of Lule. our one of NBA Twitter's longtime favorite. He's he is to the rest of NBA Twitter what Nando DiColo is to me. 
of just, hey, maybe he'll come over this year. Is his name uh, even, spelled even with... as he's into his mid thirties now? Is his name spelled with four L's? Yes, L L U L L. What an impossible name. Yeah. That's great. Um, anyway, so the Knicks are up next. Uh, then they get a rematch with the Pelicans. And then, boy, if the start to the season hadn't given Raptors fans enough anxiety, uh, the Celtics are on the docket for January 4th. Um, we will be back to talk to you after that one. I don't think we'll squeeze one in on the weekend between New Orleans and Boston. Um I don't know. I've always felt that three games is a good cadence for the podcast anyway, and it just lines up a little better uh, with the Celtics games and stuff like that. Eric, in prior years, we have forced you to make a prediction on the games ahead in the week, even though we did it inconsistently and don't ever really hold you to it or anything. But uh, Knicks, Pelicans, Celtics, what's going down? Um, I'm calling a 3-0 and week, Blake. Wow. Three and zero for the Toronto Raptors. You mean? <laughs> no, their opposition. Uh, no, uh, yeah, no. I'm calling three and zero for the Raptors. I, uh, I think they're going to get their stuff together, and uh, that might be a bit optimistic. I, I mean, it's certainly a bit optimistic. Uh, it's more of a gut feel thing than any actual analysis. But uh, I think they're going to figure a few things out. I, I. You know, Boston's play hasn't been overwhelming to start the season, certainly. Um, so, you know, as the Aaron Baines fan club said, got to get up double digits to blow double digit leads. Yep. Yeah, that's a matter of fact. That is, <laughs> that is uh, how it has to go down. You can. Um, so that'll be three games before we podcast again. Of course, you can check out all our written analysis at theathletic.com. If you're not a subscriber yet, theathletic.com slash we the six for buy one gift one deal between now and January 3rd or click on one of minor Eric's articles for uh, a flash sale up until um, the stroke of midnight. I don't know if that's programmed to disappear at the stroke of midnight, but, you know, it, also, if at the stroke of midnight, that's what you're doing. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't even want to spend New Year's with me, uh, but you know, here we are uh, in quarantine for new year's uh eric thank you so much man any parting shots before we let you go uh just a sincere thank you to the listeners and the readers over at the athletic uh for supporting us in this year the weirdest and and in many ways worst of years uh let's sort of try to be better in in 2021 and not rely on a random number changing for things to get better we got to do some of that heavy lifting ourselves uh, I'm speaking, arbitrary endpoints, baby. Yeah, I'm speaking more broadly than. Well, like, are we calling the? I guess when it starts is is pretty random. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, which makes the ending pretty random. Uh, so yeah, let's put in some good work in order to make this uh, this rock a better place. And uh, but also sincerely, thank you for for supporting us. I know. There were some tough, slow months in there, and uh, we appreciate it. It's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I will echo that. Um, and uh, thank you, Eric. And thanks to producer Andrew, who I don't know if I'm supposed to shout out or not, but uh, we appreciate yeah. him as well. Uh, Eric, thanks, man. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Blake. See ya. See ya.